welcome to the Healthcare IT Today CIO podcast. I'm John Lynn, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today, and I'm excited to bring you the most practical healthcare CIO insights and perspectives. We know your job is challenging and we want to help you be more successful. And our guest today is Rich Temple. He's VP and CIO at Deborah Heart and Lung Center. Welcome, Rich. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, excited to have you. A, a longtime friend. We've spent a lot of time at conferences yucking it up, and uh, I, I'm glad to share your insights here on the CIO podcast. But uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, Deborah Heart and Lung Center. Uh, I'd be happy to. Well, I've been at this for uh, decades, probably more decades than I care to admit, actually. <laughs> I've um, been around the block in the industry. I've been a vendor, I've been a consultant, and for a number of years, I've been on the provider side. And uh, I love what I do, and it's exciting to be at the cusp of so many interesting technological um, revolutions and evolutions in some cases on, yeah. in the health IT world. So much is changing so quickly that it's always, uh, it's always a challenge. It's always fun to be able to keep on top of. Um, as for where I work, I am Vice President Chief Information Officer for the Deborah Heart and Lung Center. We're an 89-bed cardiovascular specialty hospital that is in the wilds of Southern New Jersey. And for those of you who don't think New Jersey has wilds, uh, we do. <laughs> and uh, I can see it out my window. <laughs> we know Jersey's wild all the time. We see the beach. <laughs> That's uh, a different way. Right? <laughs> wild in a different way. <laughs> uh, awesome. And uh, we are a uh, alliance partner of the Cleveland Clinic Heart and Vascular Institute. And you know, we are... Okay. Yeah, we see some of the sickest patients in the state due to our specialty. And we have one thing which is very unique about us. We're one of three hospital systems in the country that don't balance bill patients. There's Shriners, mm -hmm. the St. Jude's, and there's us. It's part of our mission. And uh, we have a waiver that allows us to do that at our hospitals. So yeah. it's really in everybody's DNA that we take care of the patient first and we worry about the money later. Though you always have to worry about the money at least a little bit because sure. that's how you keep the doors open. But it is something kind of special that we're all really part of, and uh, we we appreciate it every day when we come in and have the opportunity to take care of people. Yeah, that's amazing, and I guess that's why we're not going to talk about revenue cycle management. Instead, <laughs> we're going to talk about some patient engagement, which uh, well, we, uh, you know. Well, we do we do have we do have to uh, go extra <laughs> aggressively to, to uh, reach out to our insurance company partners <laughs> and uh, get reimbursements, but um, we don't we don't chase our patients at the hospital itself. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about patient engagement. How do you see the world of patient engagement? How how has it changed since you started in health IT? Well, many years ago, I think the words patient engagement and the whole concept of patient engagement were really uttered all that much. I mean, I think yeah. everybody understood that you know, having a superior patient experience was a competitive differentiator for a hospital, but there weren't that many vectors through which you could actually be able to do that kind of outreach. I mean, it was mm -hmm. a different world back then. I think the, on, the onset of widespread EHRs really became the foundation upon which um, you could target, you could identify who you need to target, what kind of messages you need to target. Um, you know, you know, based on whatever clinical parameters that you're looking at. And also as um, CRM tools have become increasingly more sophisticated and increasingly more prevalent in the healthcare space, that's really also made a difference in terms of, you know, today making the whole idea of patient engagement real. 
I think and that also goes part and parcel with the fact that people now for some number of years have had the experience of being able to easily just make a few taps and uh, you know buy things through e-commerce, through the Amazons of the world. And I think all of us are thinking that wouldn't it be nice if um, healthcare was like that too? I mean, people have that expectation. I could go on tap, 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 and I get whatever I need and boom, it's there. It's not as easy in healthcare as it is if you're just buying something on Amazon because healthcare is fragmented. There are third parties who are paying part of a bill for you. Mm -hmm. uh, there are other rather onerous processes like um, prior authorization. Amazon doesn't have to worry about those things, but we do. And I think that's made it a little bit challenging for us to be able to replicate that kind of ease of experience in terms of interacting with, you know, with our patient population. But we have to cut through all that noise and find a way to make that happen. And I'm really seeing in the last few years that that's, that's really, it is really becoming a thing. We've talked about it for a long time, but I'm really seeing it become real. I mean, especially post-pandemic. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting comparison because you're right. Like we didn't really have the tools available to engage patients. And to me, it's about the scale, right? Like we could engage patients decades ago on the phone, right? But that doesn't scale. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> people, right? Those are the uh, old manual processes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But now we have this variety of tools that we can do at scale, whether it's a text message or whether it's even a, a phone call, <laughs> you know, that's automated with a, a robot, et cetera. So that's interesting to think about that change, right? And the opportunities that are available to us. But are there some areas where of patient engagement that you think maybe haven't gotten enough attention that you're working to address? I would say um, making bi-directional texting feature more prominently in our outreach. I think we're all aware that texting is now playing an increased role in terms of how healthcare providers perform patient engagement. But we want it to be maybe more than just part of it, just another arrow in our quiver, so to speak. I see it as being something that can become one of the primary vectors through which we communicate with folks because you know from a contact center perspective if you're processing texts in point of fact you can process two or three as two or three times as many texts as you can calls and there's a different expectation on the part of the patient when you're texting they do expect you to get back to them promptly but you don't have them sitting on hold uh, staring at the ceiling for an inordinate amount of time so uh, it's, it's very efficient like that. And it also it allow it allows for a different type of dialogue. It also allows if you if you drop a text to somebody and they happen not to be there, you don't have to leave them a voicemail and hope they return your call. Uh, you you know you've gotten your message out there. And generally speaking, you know that they've gotten your message, which is really nice. So that's I, I mean, we, we all talk about texting, but I think I really want to see texting as being the the next frontier that really grounds a lot of our um, patient engagement efforts. Another one, I mean, we talked we talked a little bit in just about calling people, but you know what? Uh, the telephone is still a very real vector. And yeah, especially in do, rural. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and we have to make sure the process through which someone goes when they call us is as straightforward as it possibly can be. We want to improve that experience for callers in terms of the phone tree that we have set up. We want to be able to get them from point A to point B as um, efficiently as possible without having to touch 98 different keys to get where you need to go. We wanna make sure that you get to go where you need to go the first time. If it's a med refill for our vascular department, well, we wanna make sure that it's as easy as possible for you to get to the person who can do that, as opposed to being bounced around 10 different times. So we wanna clean up the phone tree. We wanna be able 
to uh, allow voice commands as well. So you could say somebody's name or you could say the name of a department and what you're doing and it will route to that. So that's, we're in the early stages of doing that right now, but that's something which is very much on our plate. That's one of our, um, that's one of our big initiatives. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but those are really two things because the phone, the phone is not gone. As I said, we, we're, we're yeah. loving texting, we're loving um, being able to pursue leads through our website. And that's not brand new technology, but I think the depth and sophistication that we have in terms of being able to run with those leads when they come across, that's approved a heck of a lot in the last few years. So uh, yeah. those, are, those are really the big areas, making, to, making texting more pervasive and making it a more effective tool. And you know, as we, even for those folks who call us, making sure that uh, they don't have a frustrating experience being on hold for 60 minutes and then getting cut off or something like that. Uh. Uh, you know, it's interesting you described that because, well, one, I'm hearing all sorts of call center companies that are working using AI on top of voice to do innovative things. So I think that is a really interesting space. But I actually lived the experience you just described. Uh, I, I was ended up in the ED and I had to call for a follow up after that. I got bounced through three phone trees, no one knowing who to get the right person to give me the results that I needed. They finally, you know, after a second call or, you know, a second, a third bounce, whatever it was, they finally got me the lady, but she wasn't available. So oh, I had to leave a message. And I, you know, I'm just praying that she calls me back. Right. And, and then she had to call a few times, which wasted her time. Uh, she finally got through and we got the information we needed. But then after I did that, I realized there was another question because I misunderstood the drugs that they were prescribing. Right. They were the same, but they thank you to the portal. <laughs> I saw that they were different. And so I went in the portal and I saw, oh, wait, those drugs are different. So then I had a question. Do I keep both of them or just one of them? And I was like, oh, crap, do I have to call again? <laughs> did you get to do the secure, did you get like, to do the secure no. message thing? Is that yeah, well, I was like, it's, but so I did exactly what you said. I went to the secure message and I, you know, like I'd never texted this doctor before. And I was like, I pulled up his name. I sent the message. I said, well, do you want, should I take both or just one? She replied and it was simple, right? Saved her time, saved me time. It was beautiful. So I lived what you described. <laughs> it is so frustrating and it's extra frustrating when it is about your personal health and uh, you have the inevitable apprehension of what am I going to hear and what do I need to do next? And so putting, you know, adding that level of stress onto, onto um, people who are already experiencing something that is causing them stress. So I'd rather not yeah. do that. I just, we want to make, we want to make that part of communicating and engaging with our patients just as easy as we can. So they don't have to have incremental stress on top of what they're already experiencing. What was interesting is when I sent the message, I said, will they reply? And so I had the stress and anxiety of will the person actually reply? Cause we'd never had this before. So, I, you know, luckily she did within a certain time. Otherwise I would have been back on the phone, bugging her and wasting right. her time again. So and going, <laughs> going through that whole cycle all over again. Right? Yeah, exactly. Very frustrating. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that the EHR was kind of the start of engaging patients do you think that EHRs are helping or hurting when it comes to patient engagement? That's a, it's an interesting question. I think I have to say a little bit of both. Uh, they help because they do allow for stratification of populations. They allow for giving you the foundations upon which you can target different types of engagements. It could be for uh, 
you know, it could be for clinical trials, it could be for other research studies, it can be just for being proactive in terms of, uh, we noticed a little something here, or and talking about AI a little bit, if you have an AI tool that's reviewing um, diagnostic imaging, in many cases, the AI tool can look at the image, can also look at your medical history, and can identify that you might be at a very early stage of a um, something, some a chronic illness, and allow us to be able to reach out to you before it gets too severe. So having the EHR as a data resource to be able to feed to that is really good. And again, it allows it allows the down it allows the downstream software to know how it needs to reach out to people know the kind of messaging that is most appropriate given their clinical history and uh, you know do and doing all that so that's I think that's a good part the challenging part is that EHRs in and of themselves um, are wonderful data repositories but not always wonderful communicators mm. so you have to have an EHR that would be plugged into a, a CRM a CRM type software package or something along that line and you have to hope that the EHR's interoperability capacity is such that it can play nicely with that because that's that's another variable as well that you have to think about. So I think they really can be effective catalysts of patient care, but um, they can't act alone. So I think EHR has helped launch this and EHR still play a very, very pivotal and central role of it, but in and of itself, they're challenging because you have to sort of go beyond the EHR to be able to fully actualize what a good patient engagement strategy would be like. I think that's the frustrating part about EHRs though. And you know, that they haven't embraced fully the APIs. I, I don't know. That's my experience that EHR vendors should be embracing the, the APIs to enable the CRM vendors or whoever it might be to provide the better patient engagement tools. Has that been your experience with that? Or, or do you think that they've, do you disagree? Do you think they, they're doing a pretty good job? Oh, no, I um, I agree that it is it is a frustration point on many levels. I think the EHR vendors are coming to the table now and are improving in terms of their um, API presence, but uh, there's still a ways to go. And not not everything can be done right away, which is um, always frustrating. Yeah. But well, and some want to do it themselves, or and some want to. You know, there's a lot exactly. of exactly. Right? <laughs> we bring in partners. I mean, how how complicated does it need to be? And even if they do it themselves, sometimes you're um, having to have building blocks from different modules of the same sure. EHR cobbled together. So. Or they do it halfway and you're like, wait, do I go with the best of breed or do I go with the integrated? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Those the debates that we have to grapple with all the time, though, for sure. So, though, so yeah, we we have a ways to go on that. Um, interoperability is another thing I think that's come a long way in the last five to 10 years. But um, mm -hmm. and the idea of fire and again, the idea of um, uh, of just general interoperability and CCDs becoming more pervasive and secure messaging becoming you know, direct messaging uh, becoming um, uh, more widely used. So we're, we're getting there, but you know we we still we're we're not at the end of our journey by any means. Well, the QHINs and Tefka are going to solve everything, right? Just like that. <laughs> <laughs> if only that were true. <laughs> but you know, I think that has to be the stake. I mean, that has to be the stake in the ground. So yeah, that's not going to be the panacea, but. Uh, upon that, other other folks can build things, and right. it starts the ball rolling downhill. Well, one hopes. <laughs> yeah, see. you have to start somewhere. Exactly. You, know, you, you mentioned AI. I talked a little bit about AI. How do you see AI and, and other technology 
you know, when it comes to patient engagement, will that help or hurt patient engagement? Yeah, where are you at on the AI and technology are good for patient engagement or not? It, 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 it allows me to talk out of both sides of my mouth, John, because <laughs> on, one, on, one, on one side of my mouth, I love it. Another side of my mouth, it terrifies me a little bit. And oh, yeah? the part that terrifies me is the part where I'm also the HIPAA security officer for Deborah. Right. And there's... Um, there are a lot of privacy concerns we've seen with AI right. in terms of um, you know people putting PA you know, people you know, reading you know putting PHI into something like ChatGPT and um, having it potentially regurgitatable to somebody else. I mean, um, doctors have already done that, right? They, oh, they're yeah. not in trouble for it, and you're like, uh, yes, that has happened. That has definitely wow. happened. <laughs> <laughs> or AI, you know, you don't you don't always know the sources from which AI is pulling, so you don't know if those sources have a, a bias, uh, a, you know a bias toward or against a, 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 a given group of people. Um, so that, that makes it a little bit tricky. All in all though, I mean, I think AI is something that on uh, the other side of my mouth is I love it. I mean, it is one that's just cool as a technologist. It's just um, yeah. for me to pop onto BARD or go to ChatGPT and type in a question. And I'll say four times out of five, get a great answer. The fifth time it's like, Lord knows what they came up with. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, but the idea that you can, uh, you know, I, we talked a little bit earlier about mining EHR data and marrying that to diagnostic imaging where um, uh, AI or machine learning would be able to zero in on things like even more than a, a human would, even an expert human in many cases, and can identify things early and allow for some proactive tr uh, treatments of certain things. So it's, I think there's an awful lot of potential there. It's only going to get better. And uh, I can't wait to see what it does. But um, on the other hand, I uh, sit there and I worry a little bit. Yeah. Well, I hadn't thought about this, but you actually made me think, you know, with you going to chat GPT and stuff, <laughs> like as IT professionals, we could use it like, you know, you wouldn't go ask it, hey, what's the best secure text company that, and then just buy based on that. Oh, no, but it allows you to get going on something. Yeah, you could say, hey, give me all of the different secure text companies out there for healthcare. Yeah. And then you have your short list, right? You, don't, you know, <laughs> interesting. And, and John, I did exactly that this morning. Oh, really? <laughs> I, was looking at, I was looking at a niche system down in our OR and I was like, well, let me see where I should begin. And I, you know, I looked at some of the obvious sources and yeah. I, I looked at class, I looked at other things. And um, so let me just pop this into, you know, let me just pop this into BARD and ChatGPT and see what they say. And uh, they gave me a found again. They gave me something that I could build on. So I reached. I got some. I got some uh, vendor names that um, were fairly well regarded. I got some reviews, and I was able to sort of uh, make contact with them. So, if from that perspective, it's fabulous because it can. And that's low risk. There's nothing yeah. dangerous. You're going to do the extra due diligence once you reach connect with the company. So there's no exactly, but it starts my car and the car begins proceeding down the road, which is um, then I have to drive it. But sure. still being able to launch myself through a tool like that is real helpful. And something like that, it's great. And it's very low risk. There's nothing really horrible that could happen if they didn't give me a 100% perfect answer. It will, sure. it'll get me going. Yeah. Whereas on matters of life or death or long term patient health, um, you want to be able to get as close to perfect as you can. And I know the AI is going to get there. And in many, and in many ways, AI right now can do things that like in, in amounts of time that humans can only dream of. But right. it's always got to look over your shoulder a little bit, I feel, with that yeah. at this point. 
I've heard it described as augmented right now. Oh, there we go. <laughs> it augments. It doesn't replace. <laughs> I, I've heard that. I've heard it's like a very, very um, precocious and wise teenager. You know, it knows a lot. It's quite brilliant. You're dazzled by what it can come up with, but you know, it's still a teenager. And sometimes it's overconfident. Sometimes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's a good example. You know, moving beyond patient engagement, are the, is there an area of health IT that maybe, you know, not enough people are talking about that, that maybe they should be that you think could, you know, cause some issues in healthcare if we don't talk about it and focus on it more? You know, there's one, there is, there's one thing that is driving me a little bit bonkers right now. And I can see down the road as patients become more aware of this right that they have, uh, even driving me um, a little more bonkers. And I'm all about patient rights and patient empowerment to be able to access their data. But there's something very interesting. It's a small part of the 21st Century Cures Act, and it mandates that we have to make a good faith attempt to provide interoperability of a patient's record with whatever digital health app a patient may choose to bring to the table. The precondition is that whatever app they bring to the table has to be open AI capable um, and you know, meet certain standards. But even with that, um, there's no guarantee that the app that they're going to bring is one that we can yeah. natively or easily support. And we, can, we, have to, we do have to expend a fair amount of energy to be able to work with that app. That's the law that we have to do that. Um, and that's, again, I think we'll, we'll get through that. It hasn't become a big headache yet, again, but I suspect it might. Mm -hmm. But here's another angle to this as well. If um, the developer of that app were to have a breach on the app, uh, they're not business associates of ours, so we wouldn't be personally liable, but from a goodwill and from a trust mm. and from a reputational and even a financial perspective, yeah. um, it could hit us hard. So we don't have the kinds of control that we ostensibly have over our business associates in terms of memorializing agreements of how they're gonna handle our you know, EHI or PHI. Um, like uh, with these folks, and yet we're kind of on the hook for, you know, God forbid, if they're sloppy. So that's a that's a worry, and I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that, but that one kind of makes me nervous. Yeah, I heard Shah and Shah describe the uh, regulation that if a patient comes to you with the website, we're going to exploit your patient information dot com. <laughs> then you still have to share that information, with them, right? Like, like literally, you are bound no, they, to share it, even if it, like, you know, they got an application. If they, if, if they can demonstrate that they're open API capable, you have to make yeah. a good faith attempt to do that. It's know? up to the patient, right? If they want to be exploited and they choose right. that, then you have to allow them to. Yeah, patients are not always as savvy about that as we'd like them to be, so that's always an education process as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we always like to wrap up with some career advice on these episodes. Uh, and this time I decided to, you know, exploit my uh, friendship with you, Rich. Uh, I, I know that you love music. Uh, I, I don't I, I don't know if I've met anyone that loves live music more than you. I love watching your Facebook feed. <laughs> you're, probably, you're probably pretty close, I'm guessing. <laughs> I mean, I'm not as good as you, man. You, like uh, when I see it, it's, I, I love it, but not you, you have a passion for it. But Anyway, I thought so. I thought I'd do a non-traditional career question and say, "What's a song that provides some good advice for CIOs or maybe aspiring CIOs?" Okay, now that is a question. The hard I, part is you probably have so many songs. That exactly. <laughs> I'd hate to say "Run, Run, Run" by the Velvet Underground. 
know, some people should run. <laughs> Being a CIO is not for the faint of heart. So uh, I don't yeah. want to say that, though, because, like I said, I love what I do. Um, I guess a, a, um, a, an easy inspirational one would be Don't Stop Believing by Journey, because, I mean, I, the message in that um, is mm. I think, compelling in as much as uh, CIOs always should remember that their enthusiasm and their desire to be transformational is infectious. And yeah. if you're not winning people over right away, keep at it because eventually when they see what you, they see how excited you are by it, how passionate you are about, about, about a lot of that, it wears off. And nice. they become like that too. So it's um it's something you may be getting discouraged at various points because you have something you think is going to change the world and you're kind of feeling like you're banging your head against the wall trying to get people to believe in it. But yeah, keep at it. Um like for that. a band, I guess another one I'm gonna a band I'll be seeing in a couple of weeks actually. How about a float on by Ma uh, modest mouse? Because I mean that song's about you know, people dealing with all sorts of weird adversity, really strange situations. And you know what? They just, they, they get through it. They muddle through it. They just yeah. float on. And I think um, that's as a CIO, oftentimes that's what you have to do because you get hit from all sides with things and yeah. you can't personalize it because it's not, none of that's meant personally. If someone's frustrated with something or something is less than satisfactory, it's, it's their duty to tell, to tell me that, you know, and it's my duty to try to fix it. But Sometimes there are days when it just seems like everything's coming from all directions and the best thing you can do is just float on. So nice. those are a couple that pop into my head. <laughs> I like it. That was fun. Yeah. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's funny that the run, run, run. Uh, I have heard, so, you know, some people say that the CIO job has become more challenging. <laughs> so the, the, there's an element there, but I, I like it. Flow it on is like, hey, this has become more challenging, but yeah. it's not personal, you know, that, that's, that's yeah, good just, advice. Uh, Keep, do, keep doing what you're doing and and believe in it. So I guess we could we could fuse all three of those songs into right. a uh, a pithy statement. Right? I love it, Rich. This is awesome. I appreciate you uh, joining us for this episode and sharing your insights and perspectives. Well, and thanks thank everyone for, for watching and listening. If you want to find more great healthcare IT content like this, be sure to check it out at healthcareittoday.com or search for the CIO podcast by Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application. Thanks, Rich. No, thank you.